Welcome to Leading with Intention with Monique Daniel. Over the next hour, you're going to learn how to lead more efficiently and effectively in a post-pandemic world where the workplace has changed dramatically. Now, here's Monique. Welcome. Get ready for an extraordinary episode of Leading with Intention with a twist, where I, Monique Denaw, take the center stage as Richard Vaughn himself interviews me on his show, Richard Vaughn Live, about my captivating journey in Spain. Join us as we delve into the vibrant city of Valencia, my unique pilgrimage to visit every neighborhood fountain, and the profound impact of volunteering and travel. Richard and I uncover the secrets behind language learning success and the transformative power of immersion. Together, we explore the joys of cultural connection and the importance of effective communication. Don't miss this captivating interview on Richard Vaughn Live as we share insights, inspiration, and unforgettable stories. Tune in and embark with me on an extraordinary adventure. Hello and welcome. Yes, welcome again. Here we are back together, back together on a Thursday. This is the first Thursday of the month of July, so it's a special Thursday. Yesterday was, no, the day before yesterday was the 4th of July. Yes, today is the 6th of July, although Americans would say July 6th. Today is July 6th. We would probably not say the 6th of July. And in fact, if you go to England or you go to Great Britain or to Ireland, or no, if you go to any American and you say, by the way, is there a 4th of July in Great Britain? Most Americans say, no, no, there isn't. Say, what do you mean? The calendar skips the date? No, no, there is a July 4th in England, but the 4th of July. So it's strange that in the United States, we use the British form of expressing the date in reference to our Independence Day. Really, the uh, Declaration of Independence, it declared independence from the crown, the British crown, was completed and approved on July 2nd. However, they postponed the publication and the announcement until the 4th of July. And so, but uh, so that was the day before yesterday, but here we are on the 6th of July, July 6th on a Thursday, a special Thursday. Today isn't just any day, right, Nacho? Hoy no es un día cualquiera. Today isn't just any day because I have a special guest today whom I'm going to introduce. She asked me a question before we started and I said, I'll answer the question on the air. And as usual at my age, I can't remember what the question was. <laughs> you know, as you get older... You lose two things as as you get old. The, the first is loss of memory. And I can't remember the second, but in any case, <laughs> here we are together. But I'm here with a, a young lady, very interesting, who apparently has maybe fallen in love with Spain. I don't know. But she's been coming to Spain frequently in the last few years, maybe. But we're going to find out uh, her name. She has a French name, by the way. Because she was, uh, her mother was or is from uh, French Canada. So without any further ado, very common expression, sin mayor preambulo, without any further preamble, without any further ado, I'll introduce Monique, Monique Dan. Daniel, hello. Daniel, how are you? <laughs> Hi, Richard. I am great. <laughs> and Monique, let's, so... You're in Spain now. Yes. How long have you been here? Since the last week of May. 
So you've been here for quite a long time. Yes, yes, I have loved it. I have never seen Valencia, so that's where I went first mm -hmm. and spent five weeks there getting to know the city. And I did a very interesting, what I call the a pilgrimage to the fountains. I decided to visit every fountain in my neighborhood in Valencia on foot. But only in your neighborhood? Well, really? I realized how big Valencia really is, and I couldn't do it all on foot. So it took three and a half hours, though, all right. on foot. And I visited every fountain and made a wish and set an intention and threw a coin in. Does that work in Valencia or only in Rome? <laughs> <laughs> in my mind, it works anywhere. So right. I was bound and determined for that. And then I came to Madrid on Saturday. So, but why did you choose Valencia this time? How many times have you come to Spain? Uh, I think I've been here three or four times. In when the was the first? Well, it was pre-COVID because this is the first I've been here since COVID. Right. So I think the first time was in 2017. What brought you here? I did a volunteer program. All right. Uh, for, I think it was for Vontown. And well, maybe it was Pueblo Inglés. Possibly, because I've done both. You see, I, I founded Pueblo Inglés. Oh, you yeah, did? Yeah. I did not know that. Okay. <laughs> yes. I've done both. In 2006, uh, it's a long story, but in 2006, <laughs> I decided to separate from it and create the Vontown. Okay. So the first five years. And I, that was my first time in Spain, and that was just for a week. Just why, to... why? Okay, so you, how did you find out about this volunteer program? Well, I really love to give back to the community, and whether that's domestically or internationally. But you can do that in the United States. And yeah. I have. I have. I have taught English classes in the United States through some of the churches, and I really love to give back, and I think communication is really important. It's part of what I do for a living. So I started researching ways to volunteer and travel so that I could see the world because I love to travel. And that's how I found out about some of the volunteer programs. All right. And your experience in these volunteer programs has been good. It has been excellent. Excellent. Right. I have met lifelong friends mm -hmm. and still keep in touch with them and still get in touch with them whenever I'm in Spain. So it's been, and it's amazing to see them improve their English in one week. Okay. It's just amazing because of the immersion. Well, you see, a Spaniard, most of the Spaniards, the ideal student, be it Spaniard, French, German, it doesn't The ideal student is a person who has a perhaps an intermediate level, uh, but lacks the self-confidence that comes from doubling your listening comprehension. The secret is in listening comprehension. I mean, if you understand in a calm, relaxed way, and you're understanding meanings and nuances and things of the person who's speaking to you, you feel much more in control of the communication environment, and then you begin to speak better because psychologically you're, you're confident. If you're understanding only 60% of or 70% of what the person is saying, you tense up trying to understand, and then your, deliver, your oral delivery also suffers because you're, un, you're insecure. It all hovers around listening comprehension and most Spanish, Spanish learners of English believe they understand better than they speak because they understand their English teacher. Hmm. But it's very easy to understand your English teacher. On a scale of one, one to 100, in difficulty for understanding, 
your English teacher's difficulty factor 10. Real life is difficulty factor 40. Wow. You know, to go to London and negotiate a contract or go to Phoenix, Arizona yeah. and negotiate a contract, it's much more difficult. And then to understand cinema or TV series is usually difficulty factor 100, which means mm. it's more difficult to understand movies and, and TV series than it, than it is to understand in London or in Phoenix or in Chicago. But in any case, they believe incorrectly that they understand well because the teacher speaks clearly, usually. English teachers often don't speak necessarily slowly, but they speak with higher resolution. Hmm. And, they, and a veteran English teacher unconsciously chooses vocabulary that's accessible. I mean, if there's a strange person out in the street and the teacher sees the person from the classroom window, the teacher says to the student, look at the strange man outside. He wouldn't say, hey, check out the weirdo. You understand? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we go into standard English. And so unconsciously, or we, uh, we pamper the student. Yeah. But of course, we are teaching them. We're teaching them the uh, structure of the language and making them reproduce the structure. So we ask them questions like, when was the last time you saw a pink elephant? to elicit I've never seen. When was the last time you flew to Mongolia? The student responds, I've never flown. So we're practicing mm -hmm. the simple past and the present perfect together. So we're in galaxy number 13 with, of the language. And we focus for the 30 minutes of class on galaxy 13. And so the student is keyed in mm -hmm. to the typical verbs and typical grammar and things. And so the classroom is a flight simulator. And the student knows perfectly well, like a pilot, a, a, a trainee pilot, that in the flight simulator, if you crash, you don't die. So part of acquiring an ability with a second language is, is experiencing the fear of death and overcoming it, mm. you see. Because in Vontown, or Pueblo Inglés, uh, they, especially the first day, the first two days, sometimes they have a feeling of absolute, you know, they're going straight down and, to crash. <laughs> I have seen that. They're a bit glazed over and yeah. overwhelmed. And... Yeah. But you see that many of these people have had probably 500 to, to 1,000 hours of class yeah. since age 13 in secondary school. I mean, if you add up all the hours of expo of academic exposure, to English, you will see that they have maybe a thousand hours and they go out to Vontown out on the first date. They don't understand. They, 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 they lose 80%. Especially in the opening ceremony, they hear a person, well, I'm from Toledo, Ohio. Yeah. I, I'm from, I'm from, <laughs> you hear all of these accents and they, they just freak out. You can see their, their eyes are glazed, as yeah. you said, because they can't understand. And when I give talks about language learning, I always ask them a simple question, uh, well, simple, that they never understand. I ask them, why are deaf mutes mute? Think, Sorry? Why are deaf mutes mute? They never understand. I can, I can ask it 10 times. They don't understand. Of course, it's a trick. Why are deaf mutes mute? And then I translate, porque son mulos o solo mulos, fine. I said, deaf mutes are mute because they can't hear. They have perfect vocal cords, you see. And so the secret for, for dynamic communication first starts with the ear. If that doesn't work, the rest of the apparatus is rendered useless.
and you need hand signals. Right. You know, I mean, deaf people have perfect vocal cords, so but they can't use them, and so they can't communicate. And in the world of the blind, you have a lot of musicians, you have a lot of, I mean, I could continue teaching and doing radio blind. If I were deaf, no. If I were deaf, it's, it's, I'm off in a different world of silence. And um, that's what happens when you're learning a second language. Uh, if you, you know, you can learn the, the structures, you can learn to reproduce the present, the past, the future, the present perfect. You can gain vocabulary. But in the end, if you uh, receive a visitor from abroad or go abroad and you're not able to understand, you tighten up and you begin to, to feel insecure. And then it just, you, you start going in a downward spiral on your communication skill. So there are two elements of language. You, you don't learn a language. You acquire a communication. You acquire, you acquire the ability to hold your own effectively in communication environments. Uh, I tell my students, I tell people here, you will never speak English perfectly. Never. I don't speak English perfectly. I have my eloquent moments and I have my less eloquent moments. So he said, my God, I could have expressed myself so much better yesterday in that meeting. You know, and it's happened to you, it's happened to yes. it happens. To, so we never have total mastery of the spoken word. But we must have total mastery of the understanding. Because then we're in a position to respond to the inputs in line with our preparation and our intelligence. And there are many people in the United Nations in New York or in Brussels, there are many people who speak English as a second language and they don't speak it perfectly. But they, many of them are doing critical jobs and doing them effectively. And you'll see that they understand perfectly. I mean, you can, you can have, if you have a perfect listening comprehension, then you can go around the world uh, signing, you know, closing nego contract negotiations with an intermediate spoken level. You know, it's a bit frustrating to get it mm -hmm. out, but you can, if you understand perfectly then, and you're intelligent and prepared and know your subjects, then even with a, what they call a B2 level, which is a level of intermediate, almost high intermediate, you can, you can go anywhere in the world and do it. And that's what Spanish people don't, they don't want to believe me. Hmm. on that so i'm a preacher in the desert to a certain degree mm. you see yeah and, and so i think if we listen well if we acquire the listening skills and we're in conversation and we don't understand something then we can ask for clarification i think that's important no matter what language you're speaking is to seek clarification if there's something you don't understand that if you can do it maybe once twice if you're in a meeting in london negotiating a contract or you know if you're with engineers at st louis missouri you know on some type of you know something for the f-16 you know uh to keep asking to repeat uh and, and spaniards will not do it because they have a what they call the sense of the ridiculous which feeling feeling foolish and they will rather try to figure out later in the hotel room what was being what was said then to and sometimes there are a lot of english speaking people who don't uh enunciate well they have mm -hmm. poor diction you have british you know who's a my my friend uh, my, my, uh, my, marta my, uh, my friend you know with the cockney style which is a lot half of london at least and then you have people with the geordie accents and the the scows accents and the Mancunian accents and and it's really tough. What what you what you gonna do? 
And then we have, you know, people from Texas talking like this. Sure is good to meet you. How long be how long how long are you gonna be here? Excuse me. Said how long are you gonna be here? They just of course in the English class it's how long are you going to be here? Right. But nobody in the English speaking world says going to, unless it's the single verb. I'm going to Barcelona tomorrow. Fine. We don't say I'm gonna Barcelona. But we say I'm gonna but I'm gonna fly there. I'm not gonna take the train. We never say I'm going to fly there. We always say gonna I'm going to fly there. And what are you going to do? What are you or whatcha? Nobody says, what are you going to do? Nobody in the history of the English language has said, what are you going to do next weekend? We say, what are you going to do or what you going to do? So that's the crude reality of native speech for a, for a, for a learner. And they have to key into that. And they don't understand. On the first two days in Vontown, for example, they, they miss 50%. If you show them in writing, they know, they understand almost 100, which means their ear is not discriminating sounds that they are familiar with theoretically. Like, what do you? What do you? And then things like that. I mean, in Spanish, they, they do a lot of natural contractions, super contractions, reducing six syllables to only three. You know? Tira palante means go straight ahead. Palante, para adelante, six syllables, palante, you say. We do the same thing. What you up to? And things like, what are you up to? And things. And so we have to, the, the acquisition of, a, of a, an effective working ability with English language, we have to expose them to that crude reality in which they don't understand, and they start to learn to discriminate sounds. They start realizing Consciously or unconsciously, that they said, what is, what are you, or what do you? Because it's both. What do you do for a living? What do you, what do, you do is, what do you do? What are you going to do this weekend is, what are you? So what are you and what do you is, what do you? You say, now whatcha is always, what are you? You say, I've been teaching all my life. <laughs> <laughs> but I created Vontown and Pueblo Inglés simply because I realized that we needed to bring you see, people in people, people starting at teenage years often go on these exchange programs, and then people here think, rightfully to a certain degree, that to finally break out and to gain the total f command, they have to go and live abroad. Now, that's true if they live abroad for two years and they immerse themselves with native people. However. If a Spaniard goes to Chicago, for example, uh, usually the Spaniard will end up taking English classes in the morning and then uh, doing things in the afternoon with friends. Now, the English classes, they, they can do them here. It's static. It's not dynamic. And they're looking at the irregular verbs again. In the afternoon, maybe they'll, they made a friend in the classroom who's from Mexico. And so they spend their time, you know, they go to a bar and, and ask for a beer in English, yes. I would say that there's what I call one hour of per day of suffering, of what they call a puros, one hour a day of anxiety, true anxiety, when people go abroad. Because even when you watch television, you're not suffering anxiety. You're not on the spot. And so in Vontown, it's 12 hours of anxiety. Yes, and you can see it. In their faces. Yeah, and so they, they're constantly struggling. And they have no choice. And they're doing it for 12 hours. 
And by Thursday, well, they're, they've got it, mm -hmm. usually. So they've, they've overcome it, and it's a psychological transformation that never takes place in the classroom. Yes, yes. It's like the pilot in the um, flight simulator. He can spend a 1,000 hours in the simulator simulating everything a hundred times, I'm not going with him on his maiden flight. You see? <laughs> However, another person who has only 10 hours on the simulator, but 10 flying hours, I'll, I'm taking the baby up and bringing it down. I'm more willing to go with the other one. So one flying hour is worth a hundred simulator hours, psychologically. A pilot will tell you technically, no. <laughs> simulator hours are just as good as flying hours. And it's probably true. Or the f swimming pool. I mean, I can, if you don't know how to swim, I can teach you how to swim. I can teach you the, uh, the breaststroke and the crawl in the shallow into the swimming pool. And, uh, and you can probably acquire a good skill. But then I tell, tell you, well, tomorrow in the deep end, and you say, no, I'm, don't you think I need to continue improving my swimming grammar <laughs> in the shallow end? You could, we could spend 30 years together in the shallow end, and you wouldn't break your fear, potential fear of the water until you experience not touching the bottom. And you panic a moment, and you start dog paddling. Yes. And, I, and I'd been teaching the perfect crawl. You were doing perfect crawl and breaststroke, and so you start dog paddling to overcome your initial fear, but then you, you realize you can stay afloat, and then you start your breaststroke. Yes, and <laughs> I don't swim, so I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> so you can spend 30 years in the shallow end and you never break your fear of the water. Right. And, and students can spend 30 years in an English classroom and they never break their fear of, the, of confronting true professional situations with, true, with natives and non-natives. So, um, so now you know why Vontan was created. And it was created simply because uh, a person I knew from the province of Soria in north-central Spain in the year 2000 insisted I go see a village that had been abandoned 30 years prior. It was a very, very small village. It had been abandoned. And uh, so I went up and I saw it. And it had, been, it had been remodeled by the local Savings and Loan Association, which don't exist anymore in the U.S., but still in Spain. And... Um, and they had remodeled it. It was very cute. But it was too big for my residential programs with teachers. And it was a little bit too far from Madrid. But the idea occurred to me to bring volunteers. And it surprised people here. Everybody said it would fail. I said, no, I don't think so. Because Americans and Canadians especially, but also Brits, Irish, and Australians, New Zealand, the volunteer... The, the idea of, vol of doing volunteer work is, is, fairly, is very popular. And a lot of people don't think twice about crossing oceans, mm -hmm. you know, to do something. And it was um, an enormous success. Enormous success. The first Vaughn Town, or Pueblo Inglés that we did, uh, was in Soria, you've, and Valdaravilla, and it was on the Spanish equivalent of 60 Minutes. There was a 10-minute report on national television. Four million people saw it here in Spain on the equivalent wow. of the U.S. program, 60 Minutes, which is called Informe Semanal. And so that's how it started. It started in 2001, August 2001. Wow. <laughs> it's been going for a long time. Yeah. 
That's true. It's been going for 22 years. Wow. Congratulations. And they told you it wouldn't take off. Well, they told me that Vaughn Radio wouldn't take off either. <laughs> Here in Spain, the, the people are more risk averse. Mm -hmm. And when somebody does something that's, wow, you're going to start a radio from scratch? Are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, this radio, when we started, when I put up the radio signal in 2000, December 2003, uh, our company was invoicing around $4 million a year, but only B2B, corporate, corporate training mm. in English. Uh, we've closed the following year at seven million. The following at eleven, fourteen, twenty-one. In five years, we went from four million to twenty-one million, because it was we started just we were just inundated with B to C. You understand? Yes. Everybody, because what I said was, I want to show the general public why we are number one in the corporate, mm. why they hire us, and why we're good. Of course, and the secret is the teacher. It's the teacher. Yeah. People say the Vaughn method. No, it's the teacher. You can give the Vaughn method to a mediocre teacher and it falls flat on its face. Yeah. You can take a mediocre method and give it to one of my teachers and they elevate it to at least quality nine over 10. The power of the teacher. The teacher's job is to get the student to fall in love with him or yeah, her. Connect with them. As a teacher, if you fall in love with the teacher, you fall in love with the subject the teacher's teaching. It could be Shakespeare or it could be algebra. If you fall in love with the teacher, suddenly you, you fall in love with the subject matter. So it's always the person. So the learning to, to win the brain of a student, you have to go through the heart, like Cupid's arrow. So how do you find your quality teachers? I'll tell you after the break. <laughs> Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. At MD Consulting, executive coach Monique Dagneau provides executive coaching to leaders struggling with workplace challenges and pain points. Unlike other coaching companies that use a Band-Aid approach, we have a specific set of tools and processes to thoroughly root cause and unpack a client's challenges. Our specialized method helps you implement measurable and sustainable solutions to enhance your leadership skills and develop your team. Visit www.mdconsultingglobal.com to book a complimentary breakthrough session. A little birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Are you ready to unlock your full potential as a leader? Look no further than MD Consulting. Monique Daniel, executive coach, best-selling author, and captivating public speaker is here to guide you towards transformational success. With a global reach, Monique empowers executive leaders and HR professionals through engaging presentations at conferences, team-building activities, and industry gatherings. Monique's mission is clear, to revolutionize workplace behavior. She achieves this not only by coaching a diverse clientele, but also by educating corporate leaders through both virtual and in-person events. Well, thank you so much for being here to help us understand. As a recognized subject matter expert, Monique delves into crucial topics such as psychological safety, onboarding strategies, effective training methods, 
and mastering time management skills. Now for a great topic that we're going to delve into. Ready to learn more? Request Monique's Speaker One Sheet or secure her for an engaging speaking engagement by sending an email to monique at mdconsultingglobal.com. Don't miss this opportunity to elevate your leadership journey with Monique Daniel and MD Consulting. Unleash your potential today. Visit www.mdconsultingglobal.com or email monique at mdconsultingglobal.com to take the next step towards transformative leadership. MD Consulting, where success begins. Welcome back to Leading with Intention with Monique Daniel. Have a question for Monique or her guests? Email Monique at Monique at MDConsultingGlobal.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back from that quick break. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to an exciting episode of Leading with Intention, where I'm being interviewed by Richard Vaughn, the founder of Vaughn Town. This interview took place while I was in Spain, volunteering for Vontown. You've heard me talk before about the Vontown organization and that it's an organization in Spain that provides English language services to Spanish business professionals. With language, as with most things in life, it's all about immersion. You have to just do it. Stop thinking about doing it. Stop getting ready to get ready to do it. Just immerse yourself and do it. Vontown embraces that concept by offering English immersion experiences in Spain. I always learn so much and meet the greatest people during my volunteer work with Vontown. So let's jump back into the second half of my conversation with Richard. Hello and welcome back. We're back together again for our second half hour of today's Thursday edition of Richard Ron Live. It's 8.01 in the morning. I can't imagine a better time to continue learning English, to improving your ability to fall in love with the languages, as I, as I was saying to Monique, Monique Dignao, correct? Yes. Dignao. Yes. Dignao uh, or something. <laughs> it's a French Canadian, what's a French surname? And Monique, of course, is a French uh, first name. Monique, Monica. And... Uh, from f- f- French Canada was your is your father or mother from my mother and her family. All right. So my grandfather, great grandfather, all from Quebec. All right. Do you speak French? No, I do not. Said up possibly. Can you believe it, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen? She doesn't. Oh no. But don't worry. There are people. I, you know, I remember many years ago, we had a, a absolute beginner. He but he was forty five years old. The poor guy wanted to learn English. Absolute beginner. And his name was Walter McClellan. <laughs> and I said, how can you live in this country with the name Walter McClellan and you don't know a word of English? See, he was born here and grew up here from a aristocratic family from two centuries before they came to Spain. You know, wow. there are several families, especially in the South, where they make sherry. It was done by, well, there's some French and English names, Osborne, Osborne. Mm. Terry, T, Terry, T-E-R-R-Y, or Domecq, yeah. And so they uh, came down at a certain period of Spain, Spanish history, post just post-Napoleonic Wars, and they set up shop and made a fortune. 
with spirits <laughs> and things. But Monique, I want to finish. We were talking about, you see, I forgot again. <laughs> Teachers and Vontown. Okay. And <laughs> well, the, the six, look, the most important element in the entire process. I mean, there are only two objectives when you want to learn a second language after puberty. Before puberty, is that your brain is different. After puberty, your brain, consciously or unconsciously, you become judgmental and analytical and things, and so you don't accept things at face value necessarily. I mean, if you're three years old and your mother's levitating while she has coffee, the three old things all mothers levitate. You understand? It's just part, some part of reality. But after puberty, you, uh, you judge things or or critique things. but um, And so there are only two at attributes that must be, or two objectives. Understanding, listening comprehension, and agility with the basic grammar. The basic grammar. 20, 20 or 30 verbs. And the present, past, and future tense constitute 90% of everything we say. Everything we say is basic. The verb to say and the verb to be. Everything we say is basic. And it's true. You don't need the conditional to get by. If I had known you were going to call me yesterday, I would have been prepared. A sentence like that we say once a month. Now, uh, what do you need? A sentence like that we can say three times a day. And there is, there are, we can say 20 times a day. The verb to bother, we use it once a week. Twice a week, maybe. But the verb to be, we use four times a mi per minute. Wow. Different, different. Mm. You don't realize, you know, how simple the normal language is, even in important meetings. Basically, you're, you are using the verb to use, the verb to be, you are using basic elements of structure. Now, it's good to know the conditional, you know, but um, it could be counterproductive. It's good to know phrasal verbs. Don't let on that I let him down. How can I make it up to you? You know, these type of phrase, these are phrasal, what they call phrasal verbs, compound verbs with prepositions. But, it's, but then you're trying to juggle 17 balls at the same time. I can impress you juggling three. I don't need 17 to impress you. In fact, if I try, the difficulty factor is much, much greater However, I'm, I'm always dropping at least one and I'm making a fool of myself, really. Even though what I'm doing is of greater complexity than with three. And you should admire me even more, even though I keep dropping one. I'm managing to keep 16 up. However, I'm not making a good impression. But with three, even with three, I can make a good impression. And you can go around the world signing contracts with three balls in the air. You understand? <laughs> yeah. But for understanding, you need 17. You understand? Mm. And so, um, and so the, um, but the most important element of all is the psychological or let's say more esoteric element, which is the student has to bust his ass to, to, to learn the language. You have, it's, there are no shortcuts and no mystic secrets. You've got to, to do hard work. And you have, so you have to be motivated. And almost always the motivation comes from an external stimulus and that is the teacher people don't usually don't simply fall in love with french or german 
or Turkish and say, I want to learn Turkish. Okay, fine. It's because somebody or something always is a stimulus. And that's always the case. And that's the teacher. It's the person. I mean, even Christianity, for me, if the Apostle Paul had died on his first trip to Ephesus, I'm not so sure Christianity would have survived. Mm. Because he planted the seeds of Christianity within the Hellenistic world, mm -hmm. which was the cultural dominant world in the Eastern Mediterranean, even in Rome at that time. It was the Greek world. And he went to Ephesus, Corinth, uh, Thessalonica, and Athens, and finally Rome, planting those seeds. If he had died on his first trip, I, don't, I think Christianity would be two paragraphs in the Encyclopedia Britannica about an attempt to modify Judaism. It's the person. It's the person. Or if Paul had been Buddhist, Instead of Christian, I think Western civilization could very likely be Greco-Roman Buddhist and not Greco-Roman Christian, the heritage, etc. But that's getting off on tangents. So you're here, you've come here five times to Spain. Yeah. Well, why not five times to France or to Germany or to I Great Britain? No, I don't know. They don't have Bontown there. <laughs> okay, so the first time in, 19, is in 2017, you say, you mm -hmm. saw... An announcement or heard by word of mouth something about Von Down. I must have seen it online, mm -hmm. researching, volunteer work, volunteer And you didn't have abroad. any doubts about it? Or? No, no. At that time, I was already doing volunteer work locally in Phoenix, teaching English grammar. Mm -hmm. And so I, I understand the importance of language and communication and being able to communicate. And I'm in the business world, so... I understand the barrier that can be there with the languages in business. And I thought it was a great idea and would give me a chance to travel and give back. So came to Spain and I've done a couple other programs in Germany through some other organizations, but Spain just keeps calling my name. So I keep coming back for longer and longer. So now I'm exploring being here next year, maybe six months instead of two. Okay, so that means you're basically independent. You, yes. You, you, you have enough money to get by independently? Well, Did I'm you sell self your employed. company? I'm self-employed, and right. I work remotely. All right. I'm an executive coach, so I still am working while I'm in Spain. All right. I, just, I work U.S. hours, so it means when I'm in Spain, I'm working 3 p.m. to midnight, <laughs> <laughs> which is a little tough at first, but... I can sleep in, which I don't do. Do you stay in hotels, pensions, or do you rent a little um, flats? Apartments, yeah, flats. Yeah. All right. Yes, so that I can cook if I want to, although the food eating out is much better than my own cooking. Um, the well, food here is amazing. <laughs> you like it? I, I love so, it. Yeah. Yes. The, um, but do you normally go to the classy restaurants or to menu-of-the-day restaurants? Anything that I see when I'm walking, because all okay. I do is walk. I don't do public transportation or taxis or anything. So anything I see, I stop and try it out. What's your favorite region of Spain? Do you have one yet? Not yet. All right. No. How many, what regions do you know well? Just the places I've been, and that's been Madrid and Valencia, and then the places where I've done Vontown in the little yeah. villages. So. Well, you need to, you need to, to, be a, to get acquainted with Seville. Mm. And Barcelona. Okay. San Sebastian. Okay. Bilbao as well, but San, San Sebastian is, I would say San Sebastian is one of the 
probably the most int- beautiful coastal town in Europe. Mm. And I'm I'm the, eliminating villages and cities. Okay. I'm saying towns of a It's about 150,000 people. All right. I mean, you can go to Cudillero, you can go to Portofino in Italy, you know, but it's, you know, it's only 700 people, mm. this permanent population. Mm-hmm. And so these are quaint little fishing villages that have become very popular, too popular. I never go to them because it takes 20 minutes, 30 minutes just to get your car into the, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's too much massification of tourism. Yeah. In fact, the prices are going up now in an attempt to try to. Mm. to uh, modify that a little bit. But uh, Seville is a very, very special atmosphere. Granada, Córdoba as well, all of Andalusia, mm. all of Andalusia. And uh, the north of Spain, Galicia, Asturias, Cantabria, and the Basque Country is out of this world, beautiful. Uh, the food, the best food in Spain is there. Really? In the north. Quality and quantity. <laughs> they, they're, they're, for example, it took the Romans, I think, about hundred years to dom to dom to take control of the the north, <laughs> especially Cantabria, the Cantabros, and uh, they, they're the the food. I mean, it's a different climate. Mm. I mean, you go to Asturias, and, and if if I take you by helicopter and, and take off your blindfold, you think you're in Switzerland. Really? Yeah. You say, once you go over that northern, the the northern mountain range, you're in the it's Atlantic climate, but it's a North Atlantic climate, mm. and uh, it's absolutely it's totally different between, you know, you can go twenty kilometers, and you have a dry climate, typical of Spain, where it's yellow brown half the year. And you go 20 kilometers over, and it's raining, overcast most of the year, and green, very, very green. And so the, the north of Spain. And then, of course, the Pyrenees are also very beautiful. Zaragoza, there's so much to see. In any uh, European country, I mean, you go to Italy. Italy is a museum in itself. France as well. You see, have you traveled to Italy? Not to Italy. It's on my list. I've been to <laughs> France a few times. All right. I starve in France. I don't starve in Spain. <laughs> the portions in Spain are much bigger than in France. <laughs> so you, you like the you like the, what they call la buena mesa. You like to eat well. <laughs> the big yes. Yeah. Well and often. <laughs> all right, but all right. So did you grow up in? Were you born in Arizona? No, I was born in Michigan. Where, so, where in Michigan? Uh, born in Traverse City. So Michigan is shaped like a. Like a mitten, yes, with a hand. A mitten, ladies and gentlemen, means una manopla, manopla, a mitten. Yes. All right. And Michigan is near the top, um, where I grew up in Michigan, near the top of the mitten, top of the hand. So up near Mackinac. Mm-hmm. Near Mackinac. Okay. Yes. Yep. And so that's where I grew up, but then I moved all over the place. But how old were you when you left Michigan? Uh, thirteen. Thirteen. And moved to Chicago. Well, with your family, or did you move on your own? With my family, moved right. to Chicago, and then Maryland, which is on the east coast of the but United States. But how long States. were you in Chicago? Three years. So you did your high school there? Yeah. Yep. Was it a good experience? No, I didn't like Chicago what, as a what, child. What part of Chicago did you live in? It was um, 
Glendale, which at the time, because we're talking many, many years ago, was not a good place to be in Chicago, a rough area. All right. So didn't like it, didn't have many friends, didn't like the schools. The schools were but really tough. Did you graduate from high school there? Um, actually, I did not graduate. I had a very tumultuous childhood, I guess you could say. Uh, a lot of trauma, things like that with my family. So I was married at a very young age, at 16. No kidding. Yes. Wow. I left school in the 10th grade. So I dropped out. I never finished. And eventually I did, and now I have my master's degree. So I've come a very long way. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, those were my early years. Uh, Michigan, Chicago, Maryland. Where did you live in Maryland? You were married when you went to Maryland. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes, at 16, married, in, yeah. living in Maryland. I lived in Frederick, mm-hmm. which is now it's the, it's the place to be because it's really close to D.C. and Virginia. It's really close to that tri-state. Yeah. But then it was just this, this little hole in the wall <laughs> type of town. And again, very rough. But um, And then, yes, when I got my divorce, I moved back to Michigan. Back up to the north. Yes, yes. To the original. And um, was there for a while um, and eventually ended up back in, or ended up in Arizona and really loved it there. There's something there that really... What took you to Arizona? uh, At that point, I was married to my second husband and a job took us there. All right. From Michigan to Arizona. And I just fell in love with it because... To Phoenix itself? Yes, we went to Phoenix. And I love all areas of Arizona because the climate is so different. Mm-hmm. Phoenix is really dry and hot, so the winter time is good to be there. But in the summertime, like now, that's why I leave Arizona in the summer because now... But, but you're coming to Spain, which is not as hot as Arizona, but it's hot. It's hot and it's muggy. I'm not used here. to the humidity here. Well, yeah. well, Madrid is a very dry city, comparatively. Yes. But compared to Phoenix, no. Right, right. Compared to Valencia, Madrid is drier because Valencia, yeah. I didn't know what to do with my hair at all any day <laughs> of the week. But here, the humidity is not as bad as Valencia. Um, but compared to Phoenix, so Phoenix is very dry and I like the dry heat but I don't like it when it gets really hot in the summers. So um, Celsius, it's <clears throat> 70, 75 Celsius in the summers in Phoenix. 75. C- Celsius, Celsius. No, 75 Celsius, no. 100 and, 120? Oh, okay. Is that Celsius, about? No, 120 no? would probably be 46 degrees. 46, okay. 46. Okay. Thank Just you second. for correcting me. Yeah. Let me, let me find out. Just out of curiosity. Okay. Let's go. Fahrenheit. I never know how to spell Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. F-E-R-H. To Celsius. Yeah. Here we have it. Okay. Fahrenheit to Celsius. So 122 Really, it gets it, but that's, that's, a, that's not every too. day, 122. In... July through August. That's 50 degrees Celsius. 50. Okay. It can reach, but you probably have an average temperature of 105, maybe. Not in July and August. No. And people bear that. Yes. We have air conditioners that are made differently than the rest of the United States to handle 
the intense, you know, the, the way we run them yeah. and, and keeping them so cold. There's certain protocol. We don't walk our animals outside until dark. Um, staying inside when the sun comes up. A lot of really important protocol water. A lot of The same in Tucson. Yeah, Tucson's a little cooler. And I go down there sometimes in the summer when I'm not in Spain, when I still need to get out of Phoenix. Tucson's about 20 degrees cooler mm-hmm. in the summer. So really? it's more doable. Yes, it's better. And north, north is cooler also. But to drive to Flagstaff, we're talking three hours? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So when I go south into Tucson or more south than that, I... I go for mm-hmm, Nogales, yeah. Sierra Vista, the border yeah. of Mexico. I go for like a month and just rent something there and escape the heat because I like to hike, but I can't in the heat like yeah. that. So I go down there to hike um, and get out of the, the heat. So, so, so you, so when you, how old were you when you moved? You and your second husband moved to Phoenix. How old was I? Thirty-eight. All right. And you fell in love with it. Yes. The mountains, <laughs> the the winters, because compared to Michigan winters, mm. Arizona winters are a, a dream come yeah. true. So, But at that time, you said you, so you didn't finish high school, but later you completed your degree. Yes. And, a, and the undergraduate degree and a master's. Yes. Yes. Later, I will. Where, I, in Arizona? Did, um, yeah. Arizona and online. Um, I'm I'm actually a pretty high achiever considering what my early years were like. But after my first divorce, I went back and got my GED, which is the high school diploma. GED, ladies and gentlemen, means graduate equivalency diploma. It's an exam you can take and you are granted the status of a high school graduate or what you'd call secondary school graduate and you are uh, eligible to go on and, and start the university. So I achieved that and then as a single parent, there were about six years there where I was a single parent. How many I, kids do you have? Two. I have two right. daughters, five grandchildren. Oh, wow. So. You're the best looking grandmother I've seen in a long time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I went back to school during that time I was a single parent, and that was very hard because I was working full time. So I was in the business world working full time, single parent of two toddlers because they were. 18 months old and two and a half when I divorced and then went back to school. And I really just wanted... uh, Online or physically? That was physically. That was way before they had online. I'm really dating myself now. But you had a two-year-old and, excuse me. Yes, two and a half and 18 months. They're only like 15 months apart. They were tiny, tiny tots. (laughs) Uh, Did you have any help from a a mother or from a... No, no family support, no daycare. Um, So it was a lot on my on my own. And I just wanted one. I wanted to take one college class and I wanted it to be psychology. I've always had an interest in psychology. So I signed up for Psych 101. Okay. Going in person and really loved it and started sort of applying the techniques to my job in the business world. And realizing how... What were you doing at that time? That time I was working in the insurance industry, medical insurance, as a claims analyst. All right. Wow. I mean, that you see, you, you got a lot of... Did you get a lot of 
illegitimate claims. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Health claim, health insurance claims. Yes, it's a interesting field. So I realized I started realizing how toxic the workplace can be, behavior-wise. Uh, just the interactions among the human the human factor. Yes, in the organization. Yes. Leaders that shouldn't be leading, leaders that are leading that really don't have any experience leading and just very, very toxic. And I was still, you know, I had a toxic upbringing that I had not yet started to recover from. So that combined with what I was seeing in the workplace was really triggering for me. But the psychology classes were helping me sort of process through things. And then I decided that being in the business world was definitely my thing. And I wanted to go on for an associate degree, which is the two-year. Ladies and gentlemen, there are four degrees in the United States. We have the associate degree, which is a two-year degree, usually for people who want to go quickly into the labor market. Then you have the four-year degree, which is called the bachelor's degree in the U.S., which is the standard, similar to what they have here, undergraduate. Then we have the master's degree, which is one or two additional years, and then the doctorate if somebody wants to. To spend the rest of his life yeah. <laughs> devoted yeah. to a field of research and knowledge. But That's where I stopped. <laughs> so I got yeah. the associates and that... In psychology. Yes, yes. I mean, okay. An associate, a two-year degree, associate degree in psychology, that means they go straight to the, to the point. They don't... I right. don't Right. And I took other courses that combined with management because I was in the business world. So wanted to still incorporate all of that into the work I was doing. And then I soon realized that you couldn't get very far uh, with only an associate's degree in the United States at that time. And I was still a single parent and wanted promotions and wanted to move up and couldn't really. I was stuck because that's all I had was the associate's degree. Uh, so, and at that time I was managing a team of people and decided to go for my bachelor's. This is still, you're still within the claims yes. area of medical insurance claims department. Yeah. Claims, ladies and gentlemen, is the expression we use in English for siniestros. Sinisters. Siniestro, you know, siniestro has, comes from the word left. You see, sinister comes from the left hand. Left-handed people were considered the devil. Going back a thousand years, mm -hmm. and so, uh, for example, right and I, you know, I have problems right and left in Spanish. Say a diestro y siniestro, even though left is usually izquierda, izquierda. All right, but uh, but they say siniestros for the insurance claims. That is yeah. very interesting, ladies and gentlemen. We're with um, hmm. Monique. Oh, Dinyao, <laughs> uh, Monique Dinyao, and. Uh, Today is Thursday. We're finishing our program, but we are going to be back together on t next Tuesday. So remember, on Tuesday, today is the 6th. Tuesday would be the 7th, 13th, probably the 11th. And we'll be back. So it's been a real pleasure. Have a good weekend, and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening today to Leading with Intention, where Richard Vaughn interviewed me in Madrid, Spain, on his live radio show, Richard Vaughn Live. I hope you all enjoyed getting to know me a little better and hearing about my escapades in Spain over the last two months. Tune in next week to hear yet another robust conversation where I'm interviewed again on Richard Vaughn Live. 
You're going to get to know me really well. Until we talk again, don't forget to lead with intention. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Leading with Intention. Our intention is that you walk away from this show today with new tools, techniques, and insights that help you lead more effectively and have greater impact within your company. Until we talk again, have a great week.